Radioactive plugs you into the community weeknights at 6. I'm Laura Jones, and your support means Radioactive can keep passing the mic to people and nonprofits making a difference, like the ACLU of Utah. We are participating in the Women's March because, as an organization, we have a lengthy history of defending reproductive freedoms throughout the United States. Radiothon starts October 29th. Help us to keep plugging you into the community by making your donation online at krcl.org. Certainty, the latest from Big Thief here on KRCL 90.9. And that starts off Radioactive tonight. We're a show that plugs you into the community in these uncertain times. You know, I couldn't resist that pun. And ahead of that song, eBay Hamilton wrapping up Afternoon Drive. If you missed the name of a song and wanted to know what it was, you can always find out. Check our full playlist online at krcl.org. Oh, and a concert tip, Big Thief. Scheduled to make a stop at Metro Music Hall in April. I'm Laura Jones, and tonight on Radioactive, we'll be following up with Salt Lake Tribune police reporter Peyton Harkins on her latest story, Shooting Not to Kill. She talked to law enforcement about how that might work or not. There's a lot of problems with it, folks, but it's an interesting conversation and a great report. I've also got music and fun from Shush, a kid-friendly band that will be celebrating 65 years of the County Library's Smith Branch before it moves to its new home on the former site of Granite High School, just down the road on 33rd South. When we come back, you know where your ballot is? We'll talk about that and other voting issues in the Beehive State. Next. The Road Home, Volunteers of America of Utah, and other nonprofits in our community need new and gently used cold weather clothing to help folks in need this winter. To find a clothing drive and drop-off info near you, visit carousel.org. And thanks for making a difference. I'm Laura Jones. Thanks for tuning in to Radioactive. And do you know where your ballot is? If you're a registered voter, those ballots started dropping in the mail last week. If you haven't seen it yet, it's time to start contacting your county clerk and find it. We have a whole bunch of info on the Go Vote page of krcl.org. It's under the Community Affairs tab, naturally. To get you up to speed on voting issues here in Utah, I got a hold of a nonprofit earlier today that holds politicians accountable and advocates for progressive policies that make Utah an even better place, so says their website. We're going to talk ballots, the ranked choice voting system and its ability to return power to the voters, redistricting and how you can get involved. So let's pass the microphone and find out more with my first guest tonight. Hey, my name is Katie Matheson. I am the Deputy Director for Alliance for a Better Utah. Let's talk about voting and redistricting. Hi, Katie. Thanks so much for giving us some time on the show tonight. And there's a bunch of stuff going on. You know, ballots started dropping last week, and I got mine. Do you know where yours is? Have you already got yours? Oh, yeah. Oh, in my household, it's a you get your ballot, we vote together, it goes back the next day. Yeah, it was a ballot drop. My husband dropped it off with our kids. So you're already done. Yeah. You're already done. Yeah. Okay. A lot of folks in 23 different municipalities uh, have ranked choice voting. And I got your latest newsletter and it talked about a ranked choice experiment you did with um, fan fiction or fiction in general. And there was a winner with the ranked choice voting. There was a winner. So we had folks uh, use ranked choice voting to vote for their favorite uh, like fictional universe. So it's not just like a book or a show, but it's like the whole universe itself. Um, and Harry Potter won barely. It was really close. It was it, Star Wars. 
uh, started winning and it was doing really well. And then Harry Potter came up. And then I think, you know, we also had Lord of the Rings in there, Doctor Who and Star Trek. It was so a great, lots of millennials, I guess. Yeah, a great experiment. There are some differences with real life because candidates can go and knock on doors and, and frankly, campaign for their version of the universe. Well, I mean... To be fair, staff members were definitely campaigning. <laughs> I was campaigning for people to vote. So I'm very happy with the results. Um, but the good thing about ranked choice voting is like, it didn't make like, you know, I love all of these universes that we picked and I didn't have to just choose one. I could rank them. So like one for me was Harry Potter, but then I also got to vote for Lord of the Rings, which was really great. It was a positive experience um, voting like that. That's that's interesting because of I think of all the sci-fi universes or, that I follow and they're very dystopian. So if there could be only one, I'm happy it's the Harry Potter world to a certain degree. But let's talk about ranked choice voting and how you are working to educate folks uh, as they fill out their ballots. Because I think a lot of folks are getting these ballots and going, now what? Scratching their heads, I'm supposed to do what? Yeah, it, it, the ballots look different for sure. Um, I did not, you know, I'm up in Ogden, so I didn't have the privilege of, of voting this way. There's only, I think, 23 cities in Utah that are doing it this way this year. But I mean, that's huge. That's a big change from what it was a couple of years ago. Um, and so basically what they ask you to do instead of saying, yes, this candidate, no, that candidate, or, you know, you only get to vote for one for each seat. Instead, what you can do is go like, look, I like a lot of things about a lot of these candidates. So then I'm going to rank them as my, you know, it's so like my first choice is this candidate. But if that candidate doesn't make it, I would love for this candidate to make it. And if that candidate doesn't make it, I would love for this candidate to make it. So when you have like a crowded general, which I think some of these city council races do, that makes it really um, great, especially for voters to look for the good in the candidates, which is, um, you know, something that is not uh, always, you know, doesn't always happen in politics. Mm -hmm. So um, that that's a great, I think it's a great experiment for Utah to do this year. And I'm excited to see the results. There hasn't previously been a way to kind of give demerits, so to speak, for the way you feel a candidate has conducted their campaign. So in a ranked choice election, if you are so fortunate, folks, to have one of those in your city, um, where someone ranks says a lot about how you felt about their campaign, or if you knew them at all, if they ever came by. But you don't have to actually rank every candidate. You don't have to go, there's 10. All right, what's my one through 10? Right. You, you rank what you like. And then um, as the returns start coming in, those at the bottom drop off, those votes get reallocated. And I really do think it puts a lot of power back in the voters' hands that I didn't really realize. I mean, I understood ranked choice voting, but that you know what? I don't have to say if I'm with you or if I like you when you knock on my door. I can hear what you have to say and reserve judgment and then go to my ballot. And that's where I express myself and how I feel about the candidates. Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the great things about it is that it, um, it, it, it'll, it, it's more reflective of the experience of being both a politician and being a constituent. It's not an either, or it's not a team. It doesn't result in like this, like, Oh, you know, I'm for them. So I have to be against them. It's like, well, I'm kind of for like a lot of people. And that is more reflective of the experience of, you know, individuals who are represented by anyone. Like there's rarely a time when you agree 100% with someone who represents you. Um, and I, and I, so I like that this kind of injects a little bit more, um, just a little bit more reality into voting. Now, Better Utah has a lot of information on the website, your website to help folks sort things out. What's that website again? 
Yeah, so it's our, it's our sister organization, uh, uh, Better Utah Institute. So you can go to betterutahinstitute.org. And there's a thing right at the top that explains ranked choice voting. And our engagement director, Melissa, she did a lot of work to make this really simple. And she kind of goes through an example of pies and voting for different types of pies. So it's a, it's a great um, 101. And remind folks again that there are these two organizations and how they differ. Yeah, so we have our, our sister org, 501c3, Better Utah Institute. That's civic engagement, you know, education about issues. It's like the who, what, where, uh, you know, just get involved. It, it helps our democracy do better when everyone is involved. And then our 501c4, which is Alliance for a Better Utah, does more accountability and advocacy uh, and transparency type work. Let's talk accountability. And the legislative interim session going on now, and I've been reading in the news about uh, a meeting tomorrow where activists are going to show up about election integrity. And I find this really interesting in Utah, which is a red state, and there's a push to audit the 2020 election. And I'm kind of mystified, but then I read deeper and it's they want to audit Salt Lake County, which is the blue dot. Right. Yeah. And maybe they're afraid it's spreading. Who knows? What's your read on what's going on tomorrow? I mean, it's the same thing that was happening, you know, with the vaccines. It's the same thing that's happening with masks. It's the same thing that's happening with critical race theory in schools. There's this national push to prepare people to be afraid for the midterm election. And I think, you know, so I think that a lot of the fear is warranted. We're coming, we're still in a pandemic, right? Like that is a scary time for families. It's a scary time for people in general. Um, A lot of like, you know, scary conversations people have with themselves. And when we have that kind of a situation, we go through, you know, as a society, we go through these um, phases of kind of chaos, right? And so this is not necessarily abnormal when we're looking at like the history of the United States having moments like this. Um, I think we're seeing like certainly a nationalization of politics in Utah, you know, as, as you know, continuing on that, that Trump era of the nationalization of politics. Um, honestly, I think that a lot of it is just misinformation, you know, misinformation is, um, proliferating across social medias and people, um, are struggling to understand how to deal with that misinformation. And so it's telling people, and there's also like this historic distrust in authority, right? So historic distrust in the medical world, historic distrust in the government. And so, um, you know, audits make sense if you believe that, uh, you know, you know, everything was rigged, which is totally not true. Like we have, this question has been asked and answered, but at the core of it, you know, there's a lot of fear, misinformation, but the core of it, the thing that really worries me is that underneath everything is this, um, the potential attack on the freedom to vote. Right. And that is a big problem if that continues. And really, I wish that legislative leadership would shut this down. Like they know the truth about our elections and they know that it was, uh, you know, like uh, all leadership in Utah knows the reality of these elections, which is that they were safe and they were effective and they were expansive. Tons of people voted. Well, Um, and if it's rigged in Utah, one of the reddest states in the nation, who's doing the rigging? Right. Yeah, I mean, like, it, like, if we try and follow it logically, it makes no sense, right? Like, there is no logical sense. This is this is a movement based out of um, a healthy amount of fear. And again, a healthy amount of misinformation. The best thing that we can do is one, not repeat the misinformation. So when people are saying things about our elections that are blatantly false, don't repeat it, but instead talk about, you know, 
everyone has the freedom to vote and that is something that we respect. And actually in Utah, we're quite good at, we are very good at making sure that people have a ballot, they have the time to vote. You know, we do mail-in voting, like there have been issues in the past, particularly with like San Juan County and making sure folks on the, um, uh, the reservation have access to the vote. But, you know, as we're fixing those problems, Utah is like a shining star of democracy for the rest of the country. So then to see this movement come here, um, is really worrisome. And I, and I hope that state leaders, you know, sh shut it down fairly soon in terms of like, don't give this misinformation a platform. Well, and again, Utah has been an example of early voting, of mail-in voting, of same-day registration for voters. And we've been doing it for a while. So as this fear comes from outside the state into it, you're like, wait a minute, we... Did we? I don't know that we invented it, but we were early adopters, whereas states in the 2020 election who now are challenging, have uh, groups challenging those um, advances, we can't, we don't have that same, that same ground to challenge it on because we've been doing it for a while. Yeah, we've been doing it for almost a decade now. And to assume that this most recent election, there was something wrong with it, whereas the rest of the last decade, everything was fine with it. Clearly, that makes no sense. Yeah. It's important to remember voting by mail. It is safe. It is effective. And it helps people access voting, which is like the basis. It is the foundation yeah. for a democracy that works for people that, you know, helps deliver on their needs. We did see, it's interesting uh, when I look at interim sessions and lawmakers not being swayed by a group like those who oppose the Inland Port who show up in mass. But yeah. last month there was, again, election integrity and vaccination concerns and a bunch of folks against vaccinations, mandates, and all of that showing up and lawmakers being swayed by that crowd who does show up. So what are your concerns for interim and as we head toward a general session in January? I mean, you know, at issue is always the question of whether or not the legislature has the fortitude to withstand the most extreme impulses of their party, right? Because we're, we're dealing with a supermajority here. And I think that's honestly the difference. You know, the difference is they don't view people who are pushing against the Inland Port as people who would vote for them anyway. And so it doesn't matter. It's very kind of political at the basis. It's, it's kind of political, which is... Um, I mean, undemocratic at the very least, uh, certainly problematic because when they are kind of held hostage by the extreme uh, impulses of their national party, that means the entire state is held hostage by the extreme impulses of their national party. And so my worry is that some of these lawmakers may not have the fortitude to kind of stand up for the freedom to vote, stand up for the freedom to live during a pandemic and the freedom to be safe. Um, that of course is a real concern. On the other hand, we do know that people in Utah have done things like pass through ballot initiatives, for example. And while the legislature certainly did push back and they certainly did make, um, you know, sizable edits to what the people uh, implemented, the truth is that those were still step forwards, steps forward, right? Like even though they they walked back Prop Two, for example, we still have medical cannabis in Utah now, so that is still a step forward, even though it's frustrating to watch what they did. So. I mean, I've, I say this a thousand times. I'll say it to you. I'll say it to anyone else. The people who show up and are loud are the people who often are heard. Like, you know, and it's hard to rally around the idea of like, keep things the same. You know, don't take away like, you know, like we're good at voting. Don't stop being good at voting, Utah. It's much easier to rally around. There's this thing happening and we're all in trouble, you know, but sometimes it does require you know, we, we kind of fall into complacency and we forget that we do need to show up for these things because it's not necessarily guaranteed. So, you know, I'm always like, 
you know, show up, be obnoxious, squeak wheel gets the grease, get to know your lawmaker and text them. Like when stuff like this happens, text your lawmaker and say, you know, dear representative, whoever, I see this is happening on Wednesday. This is not good. Please do not listen to this. You and I both know the reality of the situation. Um, and, and one person can actually do a lot yeah. on the local level. Talking with Katie Matheson of Alliance for a Better Utah about voting-related issues and something that will affect elections for the next 10 years is redistricting. And this process has to come to a close here in November uh, as uh, politicians, the Utah legislature actually has in, in state statute the authority and the responsibility to adopt the maps for the next 10 years. But the people approved Prop 4. Lawmakers tweaked it a bit, but Prop 4 created the Utah Independent Redistricting Commission, two separate processes that have to reconcile at some point. What is there still the opportunity to do here, Katie, as a concerned voter? So you can still engage with the the People's Commission, as I call it, the Utah Independent Redistricting Commission. Um, You can still give them your feedback. They're in the process of getting down to the final 12 maps. So it's three maps per type of district that they will recommend to the legislature. And they're, like I said, they're still in the process of of getting to those final uh, maps. Then those will be turned over to the legislature end of October, beginning of November. And what we are asking people to do is to contact their lawmaker and ask them to one, adopt a, a map from the UIRC, the People's Commission, and to adopt one of the maps from the People's Commission that keeps communities together, that doesn't needlessly split communities apart. And so the, the legislature has the opportunity to take a, 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 adopt a map uh, for each of the different types of maps they have to adopt from the commission, or they can draw their own. And remember, when it comes to community districting or redistricting, um, the inclination, it's not the, the, the threat is not just partisan gerrymandering. The threat is also incumbent protection. In other words, you know, politicians protecting their own seats. And in fact, we know our legislature is inclined to do that because at a recent legislative committee meeting, they actually took a recommended school board map uh, from the public and overlaid where incumbents currently live to see if those uh, districts keep would keep those incumbents in their seats. So in the public it's a meeting. twofold <laughs> in a public meeting. There are about 20 people in the audience. And I would say maybe a third to half of the people in the audience uh, were elected officials too. So it was just kind of bizarre that everyone's like, all right, this is totally normal and fine. Um, not even so, a desire to avoid the appearance of impropriety. I mean, no, that's... I mean, like they're, they're, they have an explanation for it. And their explanation is, well, people need continuity of representation. People will be confused if they're in a different Continuity district. of representation is not the point of, of districting as well, I right. recall. And also like, <laughs> do a man on the street interview with a million people. And I guarantee you the majority of those people probably won't know like who represents them, right? Continuity of representation is less important than fair maps. And the the maps have to change as the population changes, right? Like that's the reason we do this every 10 years is because we're updating for population based on the census. So those are two really strong motivating factors for when politicians across party any politician, when they're drawing their own districts, that is a strong inclination. There's an incentive for them to make sure that they're protecting their power, be it political power for their party, be it their own part their own power for their district. Um, and so the way that people can engage in this process to fight for fair maps is by, again, contacting their lawmaker and saying, when the time comes, please vote for a UIRC map, a People's Commission map 
that keeps communities together, that doesn't needlessly split us apart. That's how you get the most robust representation that ultimately re uh, results in resources that helps your community thrive. Short of Mr. Smith, Jimmy Stewart, Mr. Smith goes to Washington. I, I, I can't think of an altruistic politician who has not looked at where the map falls on their um, incumbency. I don't know. Sure. Maybe it's asking too much. Maybe it's asking too much, Katie. But I, 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 I need to look into this because what does the statute stay, say? Try During not the to compromise for Prop 4, lawmakers, and, and I say compromise in quotes, but, but lawmakers added in there um, a provision that the UIRC, the People's Commission, had to um, keep cores of, of previous districts intact, which smells a lot like incumbent protection, right? Um, if population growth is changing in different ways, it seems bizarre um, that that they would need to do that. Um, and that was during the same compromise during which they took out the accountability and transparency provisions for themselves, the legislature. So, I mean, you know, when you, for, you know, there, for, there has been over the years, um, you know, this debate over whether or not um, we should have term limits, right? Yeah. And and a lot of a lot of uh, politicians, Orrin Hatch was one of the big ones, said, you know, like I, um, I, I my, you know, I have incentive to represent my community well because I, you know, I get um, I have elections, and I want like the the idea there is that a politician wants to be reelected, and so they're going to um, do everything that they can to make sure that they're their district likes them. So we know that there is like this desire to stay in office, right? Like there is an incentive for lawmakers to stay in office. And so of course, it seems to me like that is a very strong impulse um, for a lot of politicians to want to stay in office. And I, like, I understand why, like if you feel like you're doing good work for your community, you want to continue doing that work. Um, and so we have this kind of the needs of the people and the needs of the politicians. And for me, the needs of the people come first. And then from there, you know, the needs of the politicians come second. So you also have resources between your organization, your sister organization for folks to get engaged on redistricting. Yeah. So you can find those also at betterutahinstitute.org. Um, there's a lot of info there about like the basics of redistricting. Um, we also, you know, we're a part of a coalition, uh, utahredistricting.org. So it's the Utah Redistricting Coalition. It's a number of um, organizations, nonpartisan organizations. We have folks from Sierra Club to Rural Utah Project to, you know, Mormon Women for Ethical Government, a number of different groups at this table who know that first and foremost, for any, um, you know, any good policies to make their way to the fore, for a democracy to function the way that it should function, uh, we have to have fair districts. Like that is the basics. And what, what is a fair district? People ask me that all the time. What does fair mean? It's very subjective. For my money, fair means first and foremost that communities are kept together. They're not cleaved in two. And we have some districts, both on, on the congressional and the local level, in which communities, cities, right through neighborhoods, they are cut in half. And so what we're saying is, maybe let's not do that this time. Katie, thank you so much. That's a great spot to end. I appreciate your time and your contributions to Radioactive, helping folks plug into their community on voting issues. Happy to do it. Thanks so much. What's your website one more time? BetterUtah.org and BetterUtahInstitute.org. Katie Matheson of Alliance for a Better Utah. Check tonight's show notes for links to that organization and the Better Utah Institute, its sister organization. 
I've also got the timeline and public hearing info for the redistricting process in tonight's show notes, also on the Go Vote page of krcl.org. Coming up next, shooting not to kill with Salt Lake Tribune police reporter Peyton Harkins. First, a little soldier of love, Sade, on KRCL. Sade's Soldier of Love on KRCL, and I think just what we need before this next conversation. Why shooting not to kill is a difficult proposition, how it flies in the face of decades of police training, human nature, and the law. Let's pass the microphone and find out more. Hello, I am Peyton Harkins. I'm a reporter with the Salt Lake Tribune, and I cover criminal justice. And you and Jessica Miller were on recently talking about your work. It's been going on for over a year. There's a frontline documentary coming out we want to remind people about, and it has to do with officer-involved shootings. And you've created this database for the state of Utah that didn't exist before. But over the weekend, another story uh, with your byline on it running about shooting not to kill and what a debate that is. You know, we talk a lot in on social media about why can't police just shoot to wing? And you went into this. Can you give us some of your top top line findings there, Peyton? Basically, this is an issue and I, you know, I think a lot of just lay people have this question. You know, they see a police shooting, especially if it's somebody that has a knife or like a blunt weapon or something like that. And they wonder why an officer doesn't shoot them in the leg or something like that. And so in talking to police sources, they kind of gave me sort of four criteria for, you know, that, that they would need in order to sort of safely shoot somebody in an extremity. And it all has to do with like basically an officer's ability to make precision shots under duress, which as you can imagine, if you find yourself in a situation where you need to use deadly force, you know, you're going to be under some duress, some stress. And so they were saying that you need to be able to like one, make those precision shots Two, you need to have a clear back backstop, you know, a clear, nobody in the background. So that if you, if you do miss this precision shot to somebody's arm or something like that, you know, you don't hit somebody in the background. You also need to be able to see, which kind of seems, um, you know, common sense, you need to be able to see, but a lot of people, I don't think realize that many of these shootings happen at night, you know, or under circumstances where, you know, the target's moving or something like that. And so like having, you know, having, um, clear vision of what you're shooting at is important. And also just officers need the skill to be able to make these shots because it's not people who don't have experience shooting, you know, I don't think really understand the mechanics of it a lot of times. And it's like, if you're, it's one thing to shoot at sort of a static target in the day or something like that. But they said to me, it's like, that's not a circumstance you find yourself in very often when you have to use deadly force. Well, and the way it's moving, yeah, exactly. You know, (laughs) yeah, it's. it's, uh, I don't care how many gamers on their couch in the basement with their headsets on think they can hit it in a video game. Real life is different, folks. And um, one of the things that's different is the the statute. If you shoot to kill, then why are you shooting in the first place? And you cover this in the article as well. Yeah, that was something that um, one of the one of the police trainers I talked to brought up. He was saying that 
you know, he was, he had some concerns about if shooting to incapacitate, as it's called, would be congruent with Utah law, because it's like, you must reasonably, you know, fear death or serious bodily injury to you or somebody else. And it's like, how serious could that threat have been if you didn't, you know, use every means to sort of eliminate it, as they say, or, you know, shoot center mass and shoot to kill effectively. You did find a jurisdiction in the country that is training on shoot not to kill. Yeah, they call it they call it shoot incapacitate. And it is a police department. It's pronounced LaGrange, Georgia, I believe. And they have a chief um, down there named Lou Deckmar. And he didn't he's been basically since this um, since this policy came out, he's received so much sort of criticism and scrutiny that he didn't want to chat with me for this story, which is, you know, totally his prerogative. But his policy is basically, you know, he says it. I was reading this in the Atlanta journal constitution, but he says it's, it gives officers sort of another option. If they, you know, if they encounter a situation where, you know, they would be legally justified in shooting, but for whatever reason, they don't want to take the shot for the chest or something like that. You know, if they feel comfortable, they could shoot for the leg. And so, yeah, they, they've been training on that. And I don't, I don't know outcomes of it or anything, but um, we had police chief from Utah, uh, Wade Carpenter actually went down and did the, ran through sort of the drills with them when they were doing this training. And he, you know, he, he told me that he understood what they were trying to do. He thinks it's, you know, he, he thinks it's great to try to, um, you know, try to try to save lives or gives officers more options if you can. But he had serious concerns about just the ability to do it with, you know, a, a target that's not just a piece of paper on a on a shooting range. In fact, that was one of the shortcomings he felt of the training is that those targets were stationary. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. that's not how, again, real life works. Talking with Peyton Harkins of the Salt Lake Tribune, uh, part of two folks reporting on officer um, use of deadly force And uh, we did a show a while back where you and your fellow reporter, Jessica Miller, walked us through the database and all the work you've been doing for the last year on officer-involved shootings, uh, whether they're deadly, whether they wound, et cetera, the first of its kind in the state of Utah, which hopefully will create a conversation at the legislature. Have you started to see or getting some traction or hearing back from, from lawmakers on these conversations at all, Peyton? You know, I really haven't. That's been sort of more of Jessica's side of things. I know there is a, I think it's a, you know, a, oh, what is it? You know, a committee meeting leading up to the legislative session on Wednesday. And so we're going to be listening in on that. And I'm hoping from there, you know, we'll kind of see how lawmakers have been thinking about, you know, sort of the data we've put forward that they didn't have before. Excellent. Now, the Frontline documentary is coming up, I believe, October 26th. Yes, that's correct. It'll be, it's 10 p.m. Eastern, so that puts it at 8 p.m. Mountain Time. What are we going to see? Because there's the work that you know you've been doing, and now you're becoming part of the story in this Frontline documentary, which we talked about as being a little uncomfortable for reporters who are used to asking the questions. It's an yeah. extra l- level of transparency, I think, in the work. Definitely. And this is sort of a documentary that it's like we've been filming for so long that, you know, I think when we spoke earlier we talked about, you know, how weird it is to have your side of the interview recorded as well. And it's actually because, because there's so much stuff you, you don't even actually get to see much of that. So that was, that was actually kind of a relief to me, but you get to see in the documentary, I think you get to see a lot of 
sort of behind the scenes stuff that an officer's training, like, like you get, we, we went to officer training and we got to see, you know, how they learned basically how to use deadly force and stuff like that. And, you know, you at home can get a peek inside something that you might not have ever been able to see. That's a pretty, you know, extended part of the film. I'm really excited to see your work on Frontline. Are you going to be doing any watch parties or anything related to it? So we are, we're having it's, it's kind of awkward because Jessica and I and two members of the frontline team, um, Abby and Taylor, we're actually going to be in studio to do kind of like a, a live panel before and after. I think it's before and after the film. It could just be after. But regardless, so we're going to be in the station. So there's not going to be any sort of like big community watch party or anything. But you can I'm rest assured that me and my colleagues will probably go out after. So PBS Utah, 8 p.m. on the 26th of October. We'll put it in the show notes tonight, folks, so you can be sure to put it on your calendar. But Peyton, what are you, what are you working on next? Uh, I think you told me you had a deadline you're working on today for another story. Is it related to the same topic? It is. So this is actually the story I was working on is what we're trying to pair with the film. And I kind of interrogate, you know, Utah's use of force statute requires an officer has reasonable fear of serious bodily injury or death. And I'm looking into sort of what, what is reasonable fear when you consider sort of you know, how officers are trained a lot of times for worst case scenarios, they, you know, low frequency, high risk situations, you know, what is reasonable fear when you consider that? What is reasonable fear when you consider sort of the implicit biases that sort of shape, you know, how all of us, whether we're police officers or not, interact with the world. So that's what this story is about. I believe a key to that statute is reasonable fear of the average officer, not the average human being, correct? Yeah, yeah, it's it's a reasonable officer. It's based off of, um, the Garrity versus New Jersey and Supreme Court decisions. When will we get to read that? Will it come out on the 26th? I think the plan is for it to be sort of in the Sunday paper and then it to go online in in conjunction with the film. So probably Monday or Tuesday, hopefully Tuesday. Thank you so much, Peyton. And of course, sltrib.com is where you can track down Peyton's work and that of Jessica Miller, the other uh, crime beat reporter on this topic, doing some, some really great work. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. Peyton Harkins, police reporter at the Salt Lake Tribune. Check tonight's show notes for a link to her latest article, Shooting Not to Kill. I also have a link there for you to the Frontline documentary that will air on PBS Utah at 8 p.m. our time a week from tonight. It follows the last year in the life of Peyton and her colleague Jessica Miller as they investigate officer-involved shootings and put together a database to track it for the first time here in Utah. Again, the Frontline Doc will air on PBS Utah at 8 p.m. our time, a week from tonight. I'm Laura Jones, and this is Radioactive, a show plugging you into the community weeknights at 6 here on KRCL. To close, I'm going to mash up some music and conversation with Shush, a band that will be performing live at the Smith Branch of the County Library over on 3300 South on Saturday from 2 to 5. They're celebrating 65 years of the branch as it prepares to shut down and move a few blocks to the west, but not before Shush and friends like Alexander the Owl have some fun. I Zoomed with some of the folks in Shush to find out more. This is Vern Winters from the Western Library making a guest appearance with the Smith Library, Smith Branch Library staff. Tim Hinkle from Smith Library. And I'm Gruber, patron of the Smith Branch of the SL County Library. I think you guys first came on as Rock and Story Time, and I can't remember if you're known as Shush then, but you're definitely no, shushing people now. 
<laughs> I can't remember what the name of the first band was. Do you, Dave? I don't recall. I can't remember. One of the years we were the interrupters. And so I thought maybe this year we'd be the re-interrupters, but that just didn't seem to work or fit with our theme. So, <laughs> And you know, our, um, it's a kid-friendly, right? Kid-friendly performance. And my brother points out that the shush sounds kind of judgmental. And I go, yeah, it's judging, but it's still kid-friendly. <laughs> so, Vern... Remind everybody about the Smith branch and what's happening, and we'll get to the the details of the big party on Saturday. So this building, this branch has been in existence for 65 years, and like many 65-year-olds, it's time to start thinking about retiring. So we've built, a, or we're building a big new branch, kind of like you guys are with your station, down the street a couple of blocks, we're consolidating the Columbus Library that we closed last fall. I was managing that library and they moved me to West Jordan then. Um, this library will be closing and then those two collections, along with a bunch of new materials, will be incorporated in the Granite Library at about, what is it, 700? East the Granite Library? It's 500 East, yeah, 500 East and 3300. So. So literally due west from where the Calvin Smith branch is has been located for 65 years. You've got all sorts Correct. of things going on this week, including Alexander the Library mascot. In fact, you sent me a bit of a, a story time session, so to speak, or maybe it was a shush session. Let's share that with folks. <laughs> all right. Welcome, everybody. We're in the studio today with the band Shush. And we have a special guest with us today, Alexander, the library mascot. Yay! And Alexander is one of the favorite patrons of the Smith Branch Library. Alexander goes there and they check out music, uh, movies, and books. Alexander takes those home to the little owlets in the nest. And since we've got Alexander here with us today, we thought maybe we could ask about some of the uh, library materials that Alexander likes the best. So I'm kind of a, a music person, so I wondered if I could guess some of uh, Alexander's favorite music today. Um, I, I know that Alexander likes a wide variety of music, but I think I can guess that Alexander's favorite band is the Beatles. No, not the Beatles. I thought everybody loved the Beatles. Um, is it Hootie and the Blowfish? Oh, I think I know who it is. The Birds. No. Oh, I think I've got it. I think our favorite band is the same. Is it the Who? <laughs> Excellent. And uh, so we've got Tim from the Smith Branch here with us today. Um, and I know that Tim sees a lot of the DVDs that Alexander takes back to the nest. Tim, can you maybe guess what some of Alexander's favorite movies might be? Uh, yeah, i give it a shot. I uh, think Alexander's been watching stuff uh, from the great director, Alfred Hitchcock, lately. Yeah, yeah uh, what's one of your favorites? Uh, Rear Window? Uh, how, how about the man 
Who knew too much? Um, well, oh, uh, it could be the birds. Um, psycho? Oh, who, who knew? Makes a lot of sense. We've also got Dave here with us today, one of our favorite patrons Hello. from Smith Library. Um, Dave, maybe you've seen Alexander around the library and noticed what kind of books the, the bird checks out. <laughs> Alexander, they check out a variety of books and a lot of the kids' books of the great Dr. Seuss, Theodore oh. Geisel, yeah. And their favorites, right, among the, uh, among the young and the young at heart. So I'm going to guess this, Alexander. I'm going to guess your fave, probably green eggs, right, Vern? And ham, green eggs and that ham. That makes so much sense. No? Okay. No. Right. I think Ted Cruz ruined that for her. Anyway. Maybe, maybe the, him. the classic, Cat in the Hat. Cat in the Hat. No. Oh, my goodness. What is it going to be? It's, um, oh. oh, we know. Tim, we know this. The, the Grinch. Grinch. No. no. Oh my gosh. Oh, I've got it. I know. Wait, wait, wait. it's not the birds, is it? Oh, okay. Right. No. I think I know. Is it Horton Hears a Who? All right. Yeah. <laughs> Bye, Alexander. Thanks for your visit. Squeeze those little owlets for us. And that's Alexander, the library mascot, uh, who is part of the festivities as Smith starts to move down the street after 65 years. We're talking with members of Shush. They're also part of the Smith Library, the West Jordan branch, and, of course, patron Gruber. Thanks, guys, for, for being here. I want to share a song that you were so kind to record and, and send over. Uh, Tim, I know you sing lead on this one. It's a, a bit of a tearjerker. Anything you want to say to set this up to prepare people for the emotional impact of it? No, they're they're fine. They'll they'll be okay. <laughs> the song speaks for itself, I'm sure, but <laughs> it may seem familiar. <laughs> I think, Laura, that your listeners have the, the emotional metal that they can <laughs> they can they're good. They're resilient. All right, here we go. Yep. Goodbye, Calvin from Shush on KRCL. Goodbye, Calvin. Hello, Granite. This transition will run smoother if we plan it. So we're lending enthusiasm to ensure you aren't dragged down by Smith's death spasm. Hello, Granite. Goodbye, Calvin. To facilitate our move, we put a valve in. When our new building is ready, we'll have Gruber turn the wheel and hold it steady. Let me stay at Smith Library one more day before we bury it away. Changes awaken fears. I've been here 20 years. Goodbye, Calvin. Hello, Granite. Smith was grand. We hope the new one's better than it. Though we'll miss our old library. Familiar faces help to make the move less scary. 
That's Goodbye Calvin from Shush, our guests right now on Radioactive through the magic of the Internet and Zoom. We're talking with Vern, Tim, and Gruber about the special events and activities going on for Smith Week, celebrating 65 years of the Smith branch of the County Library at 810 East, 3300 South, moving west just a couple of blocks from their present location as the new library comes online. There's events all week. We'll put links in the show notes. But Saturday's the big day, Vern. The big show. We've been rehearsing for several weeks now. We have indeed. And it's starting to feel just like so much fun. This is a great version of the band that we've been doing music the last four or five years. Laura, may I say this with you and your listeners as well, that it's a very digestible set that we do. Oh, Springsteen, known for going long, right? Grateful right. Dead, known for going long. Guess how long our set done? How long is your set? Guess how long? Take you Okay. Library, kids, attention spans, 15 minutes. Yeah. yeah. That's great. <laughs> well, the 15 minutes with like a 45-minute break the same stuff. <laughs> so you're gonna start at the Larry, you nailed it. Yeah, it's gonna be about 15 minutes. We start at the top of the hour. The event lasts from two, right? Until five. And if you want to enjoy the set, you nailed it. It's 15 minutes, top of the hour, and then 45 minutes break for the band, you know. Plus there's delicious snacks, balloon animals, games, chalk art, all that kind of thing going on at the Smith Branch Library. And I think we should play one more song here. And Vern, I think this is your doozy, Ghost Chickens. <laughs> that, that is my doozy. I hope kids don't get too scared. Even the adults, you know, chickens, they're about the most scariest creature I can imagine. So. Well, where can folks check out all the events that are happening this weekend for the, the uh, retirement of the Smith Branch in Salt Lake County? So they can just go to the library's webpage at uh, thecountylibrary.org and then slash events, and they can find a link to everything happening this week and especially on Saturday. Well, Vern, Tim, Gruber, thank you so much. Let's get these ghost chickens on the air. What do you say? Yeah. Great to me. Thank don't you very much. It's just, it's, just it's just a song. It's over pretty quick. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. See See you Saturday. Hi, I'm Dave. I'm Vern. I'm Tim. And together we are The The Shush. Shush. With our special guest, Alexander the Owl, mascot of the County Library. And you're listening to KRCL. A chicken farmer went out one dark and stormy day. By the coop he rested as he went along his way. When all at once a rotten egg hit him in the eye, it was the sight he feared the most. Ghost chickens in the sky. This farmer had these chickens since he was 24. Working for the colonel for 30 years or more. Raising all these chickens and then sending them to fry. Well, now they want revenge. Go 
those chickens in the sky Their beaks were black and shiny and their eyes were glowing red They had no skin or feathers These chickens, they were dead They picked the farmer up And they scratched him with their claws Then they cooked him extra crispy And ate him with coleslaw And that's Shush Ghost Chickens in the Sky, just one of the many hits you can hear Saturday at the Smith Branch of the County Library, 810 East, 3300 South, 2 to 5 p.m. on Saturday. Check tonight's show notes for a link to all the shushing and other festivities that are actually going on throughout the week, but culminate in the big party on Saturday. I'm Laura Jones, and thanks for listening to Radioactive tonight. Democracy Now! is coming up next, followed by Vagabond Radio with Barbie at 8, Connor's Late Night Lowdown at 10.30, Super Sounds with Chovy at 1 a.m., and of course, you can start your brand new day each and every weekday morning at 6 with John Florence. Inspired by the shush vibes tonight, I'm going to leave you tonight with one of my favorite imagination bands. It's the B-52's Planet Claire on KRCL 90.9 FM. 